Hey, thank you, Alex. You're going to stick around with us, right? This is a big, this is a yeah. big guest we got coming yeah, in. I'm sticking around. I'm sticking around. All right. Sounds good. Uh, hey, you're checking out Radio 1 Chicago. Don't forget to follow us on the social medias at Radio 1 Chicago and visit us at Radio1Chicago.com. Joining us now, the former CEO of Chicago Public Schools, the third, the third largest uh, public school system in the country, and also now running for mayor of Chicago, Mr. Paul Vallis. How are you doing? I'm good. You're right. I am a big guest. I'm I'm tall. <laughs> this is fact. I don't think we've ever had anyone as tall as yourself. Well, that's good. I'm the tallest candidate in the race. That's that's one thing going for me. There you go. Well, you, thanks for having me. Good. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. How's the how's the campaign going? Uh, is it everything you expected, or what are some of the surprises? Yeah, you know, I knew it was going to be rough and tumble, and uh, I'm. I'm surprised there are this many candidates in the race, yeah. uh, but I knew that once Rahm Emanuel got out, there'd be other candidates were, uh, were you uh, entering the race. Were you guys surprised that it almost turned into like a Royal Rumble, that like everyone just hopped into the ring immediately? Yeah, maybe. I, I, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's like, a, look, when you consider that only a couple figures have dominated uh, the mayoral office for what uh going on what uh, 50 years so yeah we three. should not be surprised yeah what was it uh held washington oh, there were the right but then, then of course the dailies for what 44 years or something uh, combined, like that and of yeah, course rom sure. a son of daily for eight years <laughs> you know what I mean? the other son long distance cousin son, <laughs> long distance yeah. cousin and things yeah. like that yeah so uh, yeah i'm i'm uh i'm not surprised that that uh, the the race has attracted a lot of candidates. It's just a sheer number of candidates. It's pretty surprising. And I've been attending all the all the community forums. Incidentally, the big three, as I refer to them, or it's a little three, since they didn't enter the race until after Emmanuel had uh, had dropped out, um, have not attended any of the forums that the original candidates have attended. Mm. So we, we're all remarking on that, and we pointed it out to the audience today when that uh, they. They have yet to show up, so we'll see what happens. So, so you've been around since day one. Once the, once day, the field one. day one. Day one. There you go. Uh, yeah. what, what about the the job mm-hmm. of City of Chicago attracted you? It seems like there's uh, a lot of fiscal issues that seem to come up every year. We read about it either with uh, Chicago Public Schools, with the pensions, uh, tax increases to pay for other city right. uh, employee pensions. Uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, we just had the Laquan McDonald uh, verdict come down, so there's a lot of unrest between the community and uh, policing. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of things about this job that are challenging, but what really attracted you to come and step in and try to take on this this role and uh, initiate some change? Well, you know, this is a city that I grew up in. I'm, I'm the grandson of Greek-American immigrants. Uh, I grew up in the Rosen-Pullman area, went to three public schools there. Uh, it's the city I, I've that we we raised our kids in mm-hmm. you know and and you know i, I uh, and the city's in trouble i mean th- you know this city is this city is shrinking what people don't realize is that we have lost uh probably more than any other city we have we have lost more people as a percentage of our Absolutely. population yeah um the property values re- of residential property values have declined by 17% since the Great Recession, nationally they're up eight percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means the wealth is uh, is uh, significantly diminished. And you know, when you look at the downtown area and the new spires going up and everything, I like get you, right. you say, how could that be? Well, that's because that's because there are communities that have lost thirty, forty, fifty, sixty percent of their wealth as measured by residential property values. You know, you know, t- ten miles south of uh, of of 
the the Magnificent Mile is the other Michigan Avenue where I grew up in the Rosen Pullman area. Mm. Uh, you can't find a fast food joint, let alone restaurants or food retail deserts. or everything. I mean, half the buildings are vacant. Uh, mm-hmm. or, uh, the, the Gately People Store, which was your original Walmart, is um, has been you know has been vacant. Uh, for almost four decades, uh, you know, no drugstores, Studi Youngs, the J.C. Penney, all gone, all gone. The movie theaters, all gone. I mean, uh, it, look at Englewood on Halstead Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so the other Halstead Street. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, this is a this has really become the tale of two cities. Uh, there are fifty wards in the city of Chicago, and maybe in and in less than ten wards, is there any sort of economic investment going on? And, you know, the unemployment rate among uh, blacks in this city is over 16 percent. Among whites, it's less than 5 percent. It's a tale of two cities. So, so, there's, uh, so there are great challenges, I mean, there, uh, there, that this city faces uh, and that and no one has risen to the occasion, so to speak. So I, I really felt compelled to do it because, you know, my whole life has been about public service. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I spent um, – uh, a decade working for Don Clark Netsch, who was a legends, legendary senator uh, uh, in the Illinois State Senate. Uh, and I came to work in the city of Chicago in the 90s as both first to reform the revenue department, the scandal-ridden revenue department, and then take over the city's budget during a time of crises. Uh, and then, of course, later on, the Chicago Public Schools. And, right. and, and during that period, I, I not only balanced nine budgets when you include the city budgets, every budget I've ever had. But I was able to achieve 13 bond rating upgrades, freeze property taxes as school super, as, uh, as so, yeah. a, a city budget director. I put a record number of police officers on the street. As school chief, I built 78 new school buildings. I, I, uh, I went from one IB program to 18. I opened all the magnet high schools in all the regions with the exception of Whitney Young. Right. Uh, when I left the school district, a school district, that uh, that I took over when it had a billion dollar structural deficit, I left the school district with um, almost a billion dollars in cash reserve and twelve bond rating upgrades. And but after that, after the completion of that, I just didn't go to consulting heaven when the state took over the Philadelphia school system uh, in in two thousand one. I went to Philadelphia uh, to uh, implement similar reforms, and when the uh, when Hurricane Katrina um, devastated New Orleans, I, I went to New Orleans to rebuild those schools uh, after after the devastation left in Katrina's wake. In fact, there are no students in a, a school that it has not been either rebuilt or a brand new school, courtesy of my two billion dollar FEMA settlement. And and there is no there are no failing schools in New Orleans. And mm. and even when I was done there. Uh, um, after the devastating earthquake in Haiti that killed more than a quarter million people, I went to Haiti. I, I'm still involved in Haiti. I've been to Haiti like 40 times. Same right. thing in Chile. So public service has been my entire life. And I come from a family of public servants. We have six veterans in my household. We have four police officers in my household. Uh, we have, uh, we have a, uh, a, a firefighter paramedic. Uh, in our household, we have three teachers in our household. So, uh, it, everything about uh, our family has been public service, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so I, I gave you a really long answer to a short question, <laughs> but it, okay. you know, it, it, you know, it really answers the question: Why Chicago? Why now? Right. This city is this city suffering. This city is suffering 
too many people are suffering. Uh, uh, and and I, I believe that it's time for the city to be run by a problem solver and not a politician. And I think, uh, and so I'm, I've, I'm offering my services, and, and that's why I've entered this race. We're talking with mayoral candidate Paul Vallis here on Radio 1 Chicago on 88.7 FM at 716. Um, you mentioned that kind of like the city is a, is a separation between the haves and the have-nots. How do we get economic redevelopment into the south and west sides that have been punished by mm-hmm. uh, the economic recession and the, the flight away from those communities that affected uh, enrollment in uh, Chicago public schools that have, uh, you know, put a lot of these schools on uh, on blocks of, as far as being considered for uh, closure. How, how, do, how do we get that? What is your plan to get those uh, those areas up and running and working again? Is that uh, does the Amazon uh, mm-hmm. bring them here? Mm-hmm. Does that help or is that more harmful? Uh, what, what do you what do you think? First of all, I want to say that I'm so happy that I can answer this in more than 60 seconds. We, <laughs> we got all day. We had a panel discussion where, you know, there were so many of us that we only had like 60 seconds in the, some cases, 30 seconds sure. to answer the questions. And, you know, those, those limited response times can be great equalizers. Right, right. So anyway, to make a long story short, let me just, let me address your issue of economic development. Uh, when a city is shrinking and the tax base is shrinking and the it it forces the city to raise taxes and 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 what happens is the tax burden on those who have the capacity to pay taxes and whose property values are growing etc uh uh increases significantly mm-hmm. so that's why you're seeing 20 30 40 50% increases in people's property assessments and so You've got to develop a strategy that's going to begin to grow the city again. And that means <laughs> it's, it, you have to have a strategy that's going to grow the city in not just barely 10 of the wards, but in the other 40 wards. In other right. words, the other 80% of the city. So, so basically what I've done, and I've done this on each of my issues, and if you visit, if you visit my website, which is vallisforallchicago.com, I lay it out and uh, with great specificity. Of course, running campaigns like that, you know, you, you know, you've got to, you know, obviously, you don't have the time to explain everything. But sure. since you've given me so much time, <laughs> I, I'm going to try to answer the question Go right before in. I take my next breath. Okay, no, <laughs> the um, my strategy, uh, you know, is 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 uh, is, uh, is to first of all take the city's. $20 billion, because when you have the airports, the, um, when you have the park district, when you have the schools, when mm-hmm. you have the city budget, the enterprise zones, etc., uh, when you combine the CTA, when you combine those budgets, it's like $20 billion. Right. And to, and to adopt a, what I call a buy Chicago, hire Chicago approach, where we prioritize awarding contracts uh, and, and dispensing resources to city businesses, we, we prioritize Hiring Chicagoans, where we prioritize uh, requiring businesses that get big long-term contracts to, in effect, make investments or to partner with businesses uh, in these poor communities, or in some cases, to set up their operations. For example, the CTA uh, did something that was very practical when they negotiated the billion-and-a-half-dollar uh, agreement with the Chinese company to help with the manufacturing of the right. new cars. Right. They required that part of that assemblage 
uh, be here in Chicago. In Chicago on the south side, and that they hire people from the community. So when you, we're dispensing resources, when the city's dispensing TIF money here and there and things like that, it's important that we prioritize Chicago businesses and Chicago residents, and it's important that we make sure that those resources are allocated in such a way to stimulate economic activity in our poor areas. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I answered that that quick. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, uh, no, you're the, doing great. The second thing is we have a historic opportunity because in the, yes, the Trump tax package, there are provisions in there, courtesy of Senator Scott from South Carolina and Cory Booker from Mm -hmm. New Jersey. uh, There are provisions in there that provide massive tax incentives for the investment in economically hard-pressed areas. They're called opportunity zones. Mm. And basically what those incentives do is they basically say, if you don't want to pay your capital gains tax and you want to shelter it, and you know, with the, with the, like the tripling of the, of the stock market, it's like everybody's trying to avoid their capital gains tax. Right. And what they say is you have a choice. You can either pay your capital gains tax to Uncle Sam, or you can invest it in a poor area mm-hmm. or give it a charity. <laughs> you know, if you invest it in a poor area, we won't tax it. If you invest it in a poor area and that investment generates income, we won't tax that either. Hmm. So imagine that for a second. Not only sheltering your income, but making investments that are tax exempt. Enormous tax credits. So what I've done is I've laid out a plan also on my website to, in effect, take advantage of these tax incentives to, to work to bring developers and investors into the city to invest in the city's opportunity zones. You know, one of the things that the state did right was they identified uh, areas that are qualified for these opportunity zones, economically, you know, hard-pressed areas. There's right. 133 zones. So I said what we should do is we should, we should uh, encourage and go out and recruit and incentivize investors to come in and to invest in those zones. And how can we incentivize them? By investing with those investors. So what I basically said is we should take a portion of the TIF money. A third of the TIF money, because, you know, TIFs, the money's not going to the west side and south side. No, you're, you're talking to the choir now. They're handing out TIF money like, uh, like game show awards. I right. mean, you got a hotel on the north side, right? Somebody buys a hotel, $7 million, to convert it to, uh, um, to uh, convert it to apartment buildings, and he gets a $40 million TIF, uh, as if he needed an incentive to, to, to renovate that building, were that building where that building is being constructed. Or let's not uh, forget DePaul University. Uh, yeah, or my favorite, the Wind Trust. Or I want to know where your stadium is. I mean, after all, you guys almost won the national championship. Oh, you know, uh, you know when yeah. do you get a stadium? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't speak for the, the university, but yeah. I don't think they're going to turn down money. But. You know who's angry? <laughs> you know who's angry? You know who? You know who? who uh, the constituency that are really angry about Wind Trust Arena is the students at DePaul. Oh, yeah. Because I spoke to students at DePaul scratching their heads going, what the heck was, why did we need TIF subsidies in that economically hard-pressed area calling, called the McCormick Place Complex yeah. to build a stadium that's empty 90% of the time? Yeah. You know, particularly when DePaul was going to allow, uh, uh, particularly when Jerry Reinsdorf and, and, uh, uh, was going to allow uh, DePaul. DePaul to be able to use the uh, United the Center. United Center for free. So anyway, so the point is is if we invest, if we invested a billion dollars in TIF money over the next five six years, along with securing a billion dollars in private investment, that would constitute twenty percent equity. And for twenty percent equity, we could raise a 
uh, we could raise $10 billion. Mm. Now those areas have capital for what? Investment in housing, light manufacturing, retail, uh, infrastructure, occupational training institutions, a whole host of things related to economic development. $10 billion. And guess what? No taxes, no tax increases. This is not something that taxpayers would have to subsidize. It's as simple as taking advantage, sharing a fair share of the tax increment financing revenues and investing it in areas where they were originally intended to be invested. Blighted areas. And then to leverage that money to secure private money to provide those areas with the capital that they desperately need because those areas are not developing because they can't get capital investment. Mm. And then what you could do is the same thing we're doing for Amazon. You could provide additional tax incentives that are available. For example, the the state has a program called EDGE, which provides uh, tax subsidies, which provides subsidies for the hiring of individuals who are in at-risk categories, chronically unemployed, et cetera, et cetera. The federal government has a program called the Workforce uh, Tax Credit or Workforce Opportunity Tax Credit, which gives, which gives employers $9,600 to hire an at-risk person, ex-offenders, chronically unemployed, high school dropouts, veterans, et cetera, after only 120 hours. You know? and, and that, so you could use, you could use the... Uh, op- neighborhood opportunity fund monies, these developer fee monies that Emmanuel has been handing out like candy, you know, to c- curry political support when he was ramping up to run for, for mayor. You could you could use that money to provide additional incentives, and and you could, when it comes to awarding city contracts, you could give preference to contractors who agree to invest or to locate or to uh, uh, per- share the operations with businesses. Mm-hmm. On the west side and the south side. Now, so so what you could do is you could do massive redevelopment in those communities, and and those communities for the first time in decades, in decades, there would be hope, there would be optimism, you know, there would be excitement, uh, and I'm not saying it could be transformed overnight. And and you know the window for taking advantage of these opportunity zones is a three year window. Then they it'll be like Haley's comet. We'll all be dead. Well, I'll be dead. You'll still be alive. <laughs> you plan on being alive for when Haley Comet swings around again. I plan on it. I'm yeah, I know for Grace it. will be alive. I'm shooting for it. No problem. Yeah, so, so the point is, the point is that there's great, there's great opportunities here that cannot be missed to revitalize. And this is not revitalization at the expense of the North Side or the Loop. That that development is going to continue. This isn't a, you know, is a Rob Peter to pay Paul approach. You see, it's a practical approach to revitalizing those communities. And then what you could do with those vacant schools is you could go into those vacant schools and, and incidentally, they're sitting there and rotting. And, and you know what makes offends me so, uh, 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 what, what offends me so much about the closing of those schools is, at, at, you know, when I was superintendent, our enrollment grew by 30,000, and I had 70,000 more students in the schools than they have today. They've mm. driven people out of the schools because the, of the lack of financial stability, because of uh, the Renaissance 2010 program, which closed 100 neighborhood schools and then converted them and, and displaced so many kids who never returned to the schools. Right. And, but what they could do with those 
of vacant schools. And many of those vacant schools I renovated 15, 20 years ago, which, which is what upsets me more, yeah. is they could transform those schools into adult ed and occupational training centers. Because in some of these communities, there are as many as, like in the Rosen Pullman community, anywhere from 60 to 70% of the men are in some phase of the criminal justice system. So they don't have adult education. Uh, they, they haven't had uh, uh, the sufficient basic education or adult education to prepare them for occupational training, and very few have occupational training skills. So there are opportunities, and believe it or not, there are also federal programs that they're not taking advantage of that provide training grants to train this very population. Mm-hmm. So, so this is not rocket science. Uh, you need a mayor who understands these issues. You need a mayor who knows the programs they can be taken advantage of. And more important, you need a mayor who cares because you have to have, make a sustained commitment to these communities. I mean, you know, b- relocating the polluted fleet management garage to Englewood is not ec- economic development. You know, opening a Whole Foods in Inglewood and incidentally funding it with a $10 million TIF. And if you go to that Whole Foods, you could, you know, there are certain days where, where, where it's a very sparsely populated place. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, is that economic development compared to the economic development that's going, compared to what they're planning on doing in Lincoln Yards, where they want to create a TIF that could generate as much as a billion dollars? So I know I've given you a a long explanation, but these things can be done. This isn't pipe dreams. The tools are there. Is the will there? Right. Is the will there? And that's what's important. That's what this election is about. This election is about electing somebody who understand who understands how to get things done and is 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 committed to getting these things done. At 729 here on Radio 1 Chicago on WLUW, we're talking with Paul Vallis, who's running for the city, the mayor of city of Chicago. Quick uh, quick answer before we hit a break. Uh, you talked about TIFs extensively and utilizing them, so you have no intention of abolishing or closing TIFs. No, no. What you have to do is when TIFs have run their course, you have to let them run, the, run their course. I'm against right, extending in. TIFs. Mm-hmm. Once the TIF is working and generating income, it's done. That's it. Let let the local governments reap the benefits. So you're 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 in favor of just the, the existing tiffs. Let them run their the time existing out. Existing tiffs, and then yeah, and and I'll tell you something else. If we began to provide economic development incentives to businesses, and instead of just giving the money to businesses as a cash giveaway, because that's what they do. Hey, one trust arena. Here's fifty million dollars in tiff money, or is it sixty million? 55. Hey, Whole Foods. Here's ten million dollars in. Hey, the hotel on the north side. Here's twenty million dollars for uh, forty million dollars for the conversion. Uh, another apartment building on the north side. Here's twenty million dollars for conversion. As if that apartment building, you know, you know uh, right on the edge of the park, right at a, you know, right across from uh, the lakeshore, needed a twenty million dollar incentive. You know, well, I mean, what if when we, what if we invested our TIF money? What if we invested our economic development money like we were a private sector investor where we would want equity in that investment? Mm-hmm. If we had done that the, over the last 20 years, we would have billions in equity. And when you have billions in equity, you know, you can use that to leverage borrowing. You can use that to, to generate income. Uh, uh, t- so that you can invest in other economic development initiatives. Right. So what I want to do is I want to invest 
the TIF money and get equity in the investment so that I can get a return on that investment. So I can return the money to the TIF and then in turn have that return money to the TIF return to the local governments. So this isn't about cash giveaway. This is about us investing in poor areas and benefiting like the private sector investors, benefiting from that investment and then returning that money to taxpayers. All right, sounds good. All right, we're going to hit a quick break. You recommended or you had a request to play Sticks. That's is, is, right. Is this one of your favorite bands or just is, this is the band that just came It was, uh, you know, I, um, some of the band members were from the neighborhood. Oh, really? Uh, nice. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, I used to play field hockey in Panazzo's funeral home with, uh, 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 so I, and, and one of the Panazzo's, either the brother or uh, was actually an, on my Little League team. So we remember the Panazzo's. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is more uh, a stroll down memory lane. All right, sounds good. We're talking with Paul Vallis here on Radio 1 Chicago on 88.7 FM WLUW. If you have a question, give us a call, 773-508-9589. That's 773-508-9589. Or you could tweet us at Radio 1 Chicago. Let's hit a quick break, and we'll be right back more with Paul Vallis on Radio 1 Chicago. Hey, welcome back to Radio 1 Chicago. Sticks, Paul Vallis' favorite song of all time. That's what he <laughs> no, said. No, not much. <laughs> you, just, you just refuse to play any Rod Stewart. Now, some of your listeners are probably going, Rod who? No. <laughs> our, our fan base is, is very eccentric. I know, like, I, know, we have, I know. Uh, We have a lot of great uh, listeners, uh, young and older. Uh, who uh, who hang out with us every Thursday at least, night? At least I didn't say Neil Diamond. Okay, Neil so. Diamond. That, that's a winner too. So, although Cat Stevens, I don't. Yeah, so. you, I'm, I couldn't even point him out if you like held up a photo of him. I would not yeah. know who that is. Or since he changed his name, so I, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, like I missed that. Uh, but uh, Paul Vallis joins us here on Radio 1 Chicago on Weekend Gabe. Alex is holding it down the studio and the board. Uh, we're talking about your mayor for uh, your run for mayor of Chicago. Uh, I also want to point out that I wasn't playing uh, field hockey in, <laughs> in Panazzo's funeral home. We were playing in the asphalt there parking lot. There you go, line. which, which is right? even more equally dangerous, yeah, by because the way. I, so for those voters who, who changed their minds about me, <laughs> no, I wasn't playing in the funeral home. They had a huge asphalt parking lot. What, what is, what is it about that? Because like, even my childhood experience is a bit like, I remember some of my fondest memories playing outdoors on asphalt, yeah. asphalt uh, surfaces. It's soft when you fall. You don't like what? destroy your knees. I don't remember like where with, like why there wasn't more green space. Like I, I grew up in the back of the yards area, so there wasn't a lot of green space where I was at. So like everything was concrete or asphalt. Look, look, we have Palmer Park. Where which was like, let's see, how about uh, a half a square mile of green space? So mm. at the end of the day, we had no excuses. So I, I, I uh, when I when I was uh, eight or nine at McKinley Park. Oh I, yeah, I, McKinley I, Park. Yeah, yes. I, so I fell off one of the um, uh, the fireman pole. I'd fallen off it, hit my head, uh, got up, ran, and then passed out. Because <laughs> there was it was concrete, there was no uh, wood chips, none of that sm- uh, that really nice. Uh, uh, what is it like? I don't know what it, what would you call it. It almost like a mattress foam. Oh, we didn't have any mat. We no, no, there was none of that. No, like I, I busted my head open. Went to and the, the monkey bars. Yeah. If you weren't careful, the monkey bars could. They used to call them monkey bars in those days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, uh, a crude term, but that's what they used to call them. You could seriously impale yourself on those monkey. Oh bars. my God! It was the danger. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I that's, mean, why? I mean, you could have had. Uh, I mean, you could have created a, 
a, a whole uh, cottage industry of people <laughs> people suing for breaking your nose on the swings yeah. or falling on the on the uh, the ground the the hard ground on the yeah. monkey bars and stuff like no, that. No, my my parents didn't sue. They they missed that window. They just didn't know any better, but. Oh, well, I, it seems like I turned out OK, so it, it worked out. Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, I, I want to sort of backtrack a little bit to uh, policing. That seems to be a huge uh, topic, especially within the, the black and brown community here mm-hmm. in Chicago, as far as like the level of over policing that seems to be occurring, uh, especially under <clears throat> the, the Rahm, uh, Rahm Emanuel administration. Uh, what are some of your plans uh, to work with the uh, Fraternal Order of Police and the communities to sort of bridge that divide right. and get people? to begin working together and sort of get over not over but work with work between some of the the past issues i mean we just seen uh john burge who, who passed away not that long ago that was kind of a closing chapter to a very awful time in our city uh it just seems like there there, there needs to be a, a moment of healing <laughs> How do you how do you plan to engage that? Well, let me just say that you know there now is a consent decree, and that consent decree right. is not going to be overturned by the Trump administration. That consent decree is a fait accompli. It's, do you plan to keep that in place and fight for it? Well, you know what I want to do is to make sure that the consent decree, because most a, a lot of what is is in fact most of what is in the consent decree it, are things that should have been done. I mean, that should be commonplace in any modern police department. And I want to get into that mm. because, you know, really politics have created this, this, uh, uh, this uh, conflict between the police and the communities. Now, you know, I'm, look, I'm a fanatic when it comes to accountability. But at the end of the day, we've created conditions that have led to a lot of the problems that we have. And I'll talk about that in a second. But on this issue of the consent decree, uh, uh, I want to make sure that, number one, the consent decree doesn't result in the emergence of this legal cottage industry where we're paying $25, $30, 40000000 million in oversight and things like that. At the end of the day, uh, we need police officers. Police officers need support. Uh, you know, at, uh, police need training. Uh, the police need equipment. So you, you want to make sure that the consent decree is administered in an efficient, effective way, number one. Number two, you want to make sure that you don't bog the police down uh, police time down in so much uh, paperwork and reporting that more that they're spending more time filling out forms and documenting than they are on the street. And there's no reason why the consent decree cannot be enforced efficiently, be, you know, because enough police time is spent. I mean, in, in education, they say instructional time on task improves academic achievement. Well, uh, when it comes to policing, it's time on the street. It's time on the beat. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, those things are really important. So while the consent decree is here to stay, I want to make sure that it's administered efficiently and effectively and that we're, we're, not, we're not doing things with the consent decree that, that uh, adversely impacts the police department. Uh, uh, effectiveness and certainly, you know, consuming way too much of their time uh, is uh, reporting and paperwork and things like that. It can be, uh, you know, uh, is something that we need to be cognizant of. Now, that said and done, uh, what has happened to our police department, and, and it didn't just it didn't start with uh, Emmanuel, is they literally allowed the police department to attrit out positions to where the police department had close to 2,000 fewer officers than they had 
when I was city budget director, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in the mid '90s, for example, and uh, and and then when the Emanuel administration came in, they got rid of the special units and they allowed the detectives unit to attrit out to where they went from 1,200 detectives to, you know, a little over 600 detectives. Now um, imagine this for a second: New York, which has seen a 90 percent reduction in their murder rate since the peak murder years in the 1990s. Mm-hmm has 4,500 detectives, 4,500 detectives. We, at one point, had seen our detective ranks shrink to a a little over 600. And 3% of our our police force, there is 15% of police force. New York is larger, but, I mean, that's a terrible ratio. So, so, and, and... by not filling these police positions and by getting rid of these support units that they would send in to the hot spots, to the areas where there were high incidents of serious crime and things like that, they developed a strategy with the shortage of police officers of, in effect, moving police officers from one community to another, which undermines the whole concept of community policing. So, so the net effect was you had fewer, you, you lost beat integrity. And, and, a, and beat integrity is having... And, you know, to explain it in the simplest way, it's it's really having an adequate number of police on the street in your communities. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they created severe shortages. And when they would have hotspots, they would just move police from one section to the city, another, pay them a time and a half, pay them overtime. I mean, when I was city budget director, uh, when we had almost 14,000 police officers on the street, uh the most money we ever paid on, in overtime in a single year was $38 million. In inflation-adjusted dollars, that's $58 million today. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had years where they've spent $175 million in overtime, and Chicago police. And, yeah. and, and you know what you do when, you're, when you don't have enough police and you have them spending that much time uh, overtime? You get tired police officers. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? You get frustrated police officers. And, and, and you know what you do when you're moving police all over the city? You get police working in communities that they're not familiar with. And you've got police, you've got people in communities who are not familiar with your police officers. So not enough patrol officers, not enough detectives. In addition, they allowed the supervisory ranks to become much diminished. They used to have sergeant ratios of 1 to 10, one sergeant for every 10. Now I was in the National Guard for 13 years, and I was a company commander. And, you know, squads, you have one squad leader for every 11 squad members. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's the standard ratio. Well, they had allowed those sergeant ratios to go from 1 to 10 to 1 to 30. Hmm. To 1 to 30. That means who's supervising the troops? You know, and then, of course, tasers. I don't even want to get into tasers. When Laquan McDonald was shot, before Laquan McDonald showed up, and, 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 and I'm, I'm sorry, uh, before Van Dyke showed up, when Laquan McDonald was shot, right. before he came on the scene, the, the cops on that scene were, you know, they were trying to keep their distance, and they were calling for a taser. Right. They were calling for a taser. The city at the time had 600 tasers. Now, imagine this, 11,000 police officers, 600 tasers. You know how many tasers New York had? 15,000 tasers. So what they did was they created conditions, conditions that made, that, that, uh, that 
have contributed to a lot of problems that we have now. I, I'm not apologizing for Laquan McDonald. I mean, for, for uh, Van Dyke, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. The verdict was expected. You know what I mean? The verdict, I, I, I support that verdict. But at the end of the day, what we did to the police department in terms of not giving them the support, not giving them the training, not giving them the resources, not giving them the tasers, not giving them the supervision, not, not having enough detectives to work these cases was, was s- severe, was serious, serious negligence. And, 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 and that's why we have 5% clearance rates on shootings. That's why <clears throat> we have 15% clearance rates on murders, 9% clearance rates on carjacking. So what would I do? Uh, well, I would do the following things. And again, you go to my website, I laid out. What I would do is, is I would increase the police ranks to 14,200. In addition, as part of that, I would, I would want to have a police officer in every school to protect the children in that school from the outside world. There was a, there was a study that came out the other day that said as many as one out of every third third Chicago and in, in the, this uh, like specific age group has a firearm. You know what I mean? And I know how accurate the study is or not, but we live in a, a day of carrying concealed. Right. You, see, you know what I mean? Whoever thought 20 years ago that we were going to have carrying concealed. So at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the schools have safety and security positions and I would begin to convert those positions to Chicago police officer positions so that we would have a trained school patrol that would work with the kids, interact with the kids, that would know the kids. Now, let me tell you what, what would happen if you did that. It would not only ensure s- safe and secure schools in a day and age where we have a lot of guns on the street, but when schools are not open, when schools are closed, you know, 165 days of the year, you know, county summer school, you now have 600 police officers who you can dispatch to the communities. Right. You're now not dispatching police and paying them $100 million in overtime. You know, so when you, you have those events, when you have Labor Day, when you have Fourth of July, and, and you saw the headlines about the shootings, the number of, uh, that one holiday weekend, you had, there were like 72 people shot. Right. And how many arrests did they make within the first like two to three weeks? What, one, two? And they had to dispatch... 600 police officers from all around the city to these, uh, you know, the next week to these, uh, uh, you know, to these crime-ridden communities to provide additional support. So now you would have those additional officers. So, so, uh, and you would have one to to 10 sergeant ratios. You would have 1,200 detectives, which is what they had when I was uh, 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 the uh, budget director, so that you could work these cases. I've also called for the the, the rehiring or the inviting back of of retired distinguished police officers who are known to the community, who have investigatory experience, because the problem with the current detectives division is while they're ramping up the hiring of detectives, these are all very inexpensive. They are very inexperienced detectives Mm. with huge caseloads. So there is a way. So, you know, look, we're going to have a consent decree that we're going to follow and that we're going to force uh, and while limiting the burden of that consent decree and ensuring that there's that the consent decree is enforced in a very efficient way and that doesn't undermine the police's ability to get their job done. But there is no substitute for having enough cops, for having enough detectives, because you need to create 
not, you need to not only provide the police with the resources that they need to be effective, but the infrastructure that they need uh, to be accountable. And I want to mention one more thing. Uh, I think ultimately we're, gonna, we're going to uh, uh, improve the relationship between the police department and the community uh, by doing something else. And that is creating a pipeline so that the next so that more and more of the next uh, of the officers of the next generation of police officers come from the community. And how do we do that? When I was superintendent of the Chicago Public Schools, I opened a series of military high schools. I I, I opened four and we had nine thousand students in the military high schools and ROTC. Ninety percent of those nine thousand students in any given year are black and Hispanic. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, why can't those programs become the feeder programs for the next generation of police, firefighters, EMTs, nurses, drone, pilotless drone operators. Yeah, you mentioned, I heard you mention this before. Of which is an expanding industry. (laughs) So so having a a police department that, that has significant representation from the community is a way to build uh, come, uh, is, uh, uh, the build a relationship between the community police. Absolutely. We're talking with Paul Vallis here on Radio 1 Chicago on 88.7 FM WLUW on Weekend Gabe. All right, I hate to put you on the 60-second clock, but we're going to get out of okay. here in just a few minutes. Uh, what uh, Before we get out of here, I guess, what are your uh, plans for the next month? Uh, where can people find you? Are you going to be out there openly speaking in the communities? Do you have I, any, uh, any, I will any speak, show dates? I will speak anywhere invited. <laughs> you know? And, you know, there's more there's more uh, candidate forums set up. And, and, you know, I've been going, I've been talking to large groups. I've been... Uh, small groups, it doesn't make any difference. If if I can invite it and I can make the time, I can come out. And it's all about getting the message out. Does your, uh, quick question uh, before we get out of here, uh, the mayor, I mean the governor uh, election is coming up. I know. Uh, do you have your support behind JB or around there? Or well, you I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Lifelong so riding, Democrat. Riding with JB? I support the Democratic ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I support the Democratic ticket. And, and, and I think there's opportunities, obviously. Uh, uh, you know, I, look, there's no excuse now because the, the House and the Senate, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Democrats they dominate the House and the Senate. And, 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 you know, in all likelihood, they're going to control the, the governor. What's his, what uh, office? What's going to be really important is that the new mayor come to the legislature with an agenda because uh, I want to cap property taxes and I want to lay out a financial plan that can fund pensions and that can address the issue of uh, adequate police resources and do the type of economic development investment that I've articulated, which incidentally doesn't require uh, 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 new taxes. It requires taking full advantage of the incentives that are out there. But it's going to really be important that we have a legislative agenda. Mm. Uh, and, and, and we realize that Springfield's part of the solution. And, and, uh, uh, and so having worked for, for over 10 years, uh, uh, for the Illinois State Senate under the, the late Senate President Phil Rock and, of course, the late Don Clark Netch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'm well-versed in the rules of the world in Springfield, and, and I, I, I believe I'm going to be able to advance an agenda with either the new governor or the old one that can advance the interests of Chicago and put us in a position where we'll be able to effectively cap property taxes. I want to cap property taxes for, for owner-occupied homes, uh, uh, landlords as well as businesses to uh, 5% or the rate of inflation, whichever is less, so that 
based on recent history, uh, taxes are never g- going up more than two or three percent in mm. years that you actually raise taxes. Yeah, no more taxes. No more taxes. No R- more. And, pro- and property and taxes are out of control. You know, my financial plan <laughs> includes uh, getting rid of the red light cameras and and stopping the stopping the punitive, which were only designed to generate revenue. Absolutely. But and stopping the the compounding of fines because you know if you don't yes. if you don't purchase your vehicle sticker they can ticket you every day until yes. you're like until you're in the morgue uh, right. and then they'll probably continue to take yep. ticket you yep. so so i have this poor woman she was an uber driver and she she picked me up one day and and because she couldn't pay her 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 her, her uh, sticker vehicle right. sticker she had gotten ticketed so many times she owed over a thousand dollars and this was her primary occupation she had kids at home i mean so i want to cap fines to no more than no more than the cost of the uh, of the fee, and so by doing that and by getting rid of uh, the red light cameras, I, 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 you know, we need to bring some equity and progressivity to our, or some pro- we need to bring progressivity to our revenue generating measures. Absolutely, all right. Uh, the site because I'm gonna help you out with this, Paul. Seems like you struggle with this a lot. Balanceforallchicago.com <laughs> is the website. You can find more about uh, Paul's run for mayor of the city of Chicago. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out uh, with us. I am website challenged. <laughs> it's all good. It happens. All right, Alex. Uh, we're gonna get out of here. Sounds good. All right. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday night here on 88.7 FM. The Hip Hop Project is due up next. Uh, maybe we keep Paul around for the Hip Hop Project. <laughs> maybe he'll drop some hot fire for us. On the oh, bars. God. <laughs> I don't want to lose votes. I... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, stick around. we got more great radio coming for you coming up on WLUW. Stick around. See you next week.